Hi, this is Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 70 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show where I discuss all that's new and neat with clarinet with the neatest people in the industry. Today's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Jenny McClay, who runs the popular online clarinet blog called JennyClarinet.com. Here she posts fun educational materials for the clarinet community worldwide, and in October, she launched a program called the Behrman Boot Camp. It sort of went viral in the clarinet community, and I thought it'd be really awesome to feature it in a podcast episode. Plus, I'd been meaning to talk to her for quite a while, actually, about her website. We've met at the past couple clarinet fests, and she's just a fantastic person doing a great service to the clarinet community. Even though October is technically over, and I do want to apologize, I really did hope to get this episode out about two weeks ago, but uh, Jenny does explain how you can start your own boot camp at any time of the year and actually have it go for as long as you want. The main purpose here is just to get through the entire Behrman book and become a more fluent clarinet player. We also discuss her website, and this episode marks the return of the lightning round, which went exclusive for a while for Patreon backers, but for various reasons which I discussed last episode, I've decided to bring it back. If you're interested why, I kind of gave an extended, about 10-minute uh, version of that in the last episode, the 100,000 download celebration, and I do want to also just say quickly that we are almost there. We're over 99,000 downloads, and next time I talk to you on the podcast, I guarantee you, well, hopefully, that we'll be over that threshold. Super exciting milestone, and I really do look forward to the next 100,000 downloads of the Clarinet Podcast. So for today, uh, I'm going to leave it there. I have a couple more announcements. Maybe I'll leave them at the end. Um, I'm also in a bit of a hurry because this weekend I'm going to something called the Vic Lewis Music Festival held in Canmore, Alberta, and I'll be working with over 175 students in less than 36 hours. So it's a bit of a marathon, but I'm excited to say that all those kids are going to get a little clarinet sticker and uh, some information about the podcast. Hopefully they're excited about it. I know they'll be having a great time and uh, it's a really fun conference. So anyways, uh, this is Jim. Jenny McClay from JennyClarinet.com after a short message from our sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. Thank you so much for listening. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, Dario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from Dedario Woodwinds, visit Dedario.com slash woodwinds. So I'm here today with Jenny McClay from www.jennyclarinet.com, a popular, popular clarinet blog. How are you today, Jenny? I'm great. How are you, Sean? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Just for a little bit of behind the scenes sort of a glimpse there for the listeners, this is actually the latest I've ever recorded a podcast episode. It's, it's midnight here in Calgary and... Jenny is over in France where it's 8 a.m., so we're staying up late. She's up early just for you guys. <laughs> so, you know, you're such a successful clarinet blogger, and there's only a handful out there. What, what got you into blogging in the first place? Well, I've always liked writing. In fact, before I even played clarinet, when we had school assignments and the teachers asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Before I even knew what a clarinet was, I always said I wanted to be a writer. So I've always liked to read. I've always liked to write. And I finally found the best way to combine writing with clarinet once I started playing clarinet. And I found that I was 
repeating myself a lot with my students. I had a studio of about 15 to 20 clarinetists and I would say the same thing over and over. And instead of just writing it down for each student, every single lesson, I decided to share it with the world on a blog. So it really is, uh, it's read all over the world and uh, your website looks fantastic. Did you do that design yourself? I did. It took quite a lot of time because I'm not the most technologically savvy, but I spent a lot of time learning through YouTube tutorials, Googling how to do this, how to do that. But I did design it myself through trial and error. It's amazing the things we can learn online nowadays. And uh, so what keeps you going with the blogging? I mean, it's a lot of work. I I know from what I do with the blog. Oh, you know, I honestly just do it because I love it. I come up with ideas all the time. I have a very long list of articles to write. In fact, it's about 20 pages long right now, and there's oh not God. enough time to write down all my ideas. <laughs> really? So usually 20 I just, pages long? I'm struck by inspiration. 20 pages. I have them organized, clarinet ideas, general musician ideas, um, clarinet crafts even. I haven't really delved into that area, but uh, more musician lifestyle articles like mental health for musicians or some products that I would like to create. So I really just have to delegate my time between actually practicing clarinet and writing about it. So this, uh, you've done a few really popular posts lately I've seen, and we're going to get to one of those in a second here, but what's one of the ones that's in your notebook that maybe is next up on the the queue? I have some more boot camp ideas that I would like to work on. One that I'm really excited about for Halloween, because that's my favorite holiday, I'm writing about the final resting places of famous clarinetists. Oh, wow, that's really cool. Which is a bit morbid, but... During my travels, I like to visit cemeteries and visit the graves of composers and clarinetists. When I was in Stockholm this summer, I visited Crusell's grave, and that was just very fascinating for me, and I'm sure quite morbid. Totally. So here you've, this month, you've come up with something called the Behrman Boot Camp, which, uh, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about it? All right. The Behrman Boot Camp is just like the name implies. It is a boot camp to finish the entire Behrman scale book, Division 3, Opus 63, because... I have never made it through the entire book. I practice my scales every day, but I switch around a lot. I'll do Behrman for a few days. I'll switch to Close I'll switch to Stevenard or Paris or any other scale books. But it's sort of hit or miss, practice this, practice that. And I really wanted to finish the Behrman scale book. I had never really worked on the technical exercises at the end. So I wanted to create something for myself that I could finish the book. And I thought a lot of other people would use it because I consider myself sort of a scale freak. I love practicing scales. And I thought if I haven't finished the book, then I bet a lot of other people are in the same boat. Well, I love how you kind of ease in it here, but I have to ask, I mean, there's lots of scale books. How do you decide on this one? This is my favorite, so I guess it is biased. <laughs> um, I think it's just very comprehensive. The Behrman scales, for those who aren't familiar, I would imagine there's very few people, um, but they, they tended to be kind of full range exercises. So how do you go about practicing and memorizing these scales? Um, before I moved to France, I used books entirely. And then when I got here, I realized that that's not as common in Europe. I remember Mm. one of my first lessons with Philippe Couper, I asked what books he recommended. And he sort of laughed and said, 
we don't use books. We use them all from memory. And he gave me a set of exercises to do just without music. And that was a learning curve at first. It was very difficult. In fact, I would like to publish his scale exercises because if you think the bareman is hard, his are even harder. Absolutely. So, so walk me through the boot camp for someone who wants to get involved. And you do have a bit of a social media kind of presence for this, too. It's how, how are you engaging people? I posted it on my Facebook page, Jenny Clarinet. I shared it to some Facebook clarinet groups and then word of mouth. I think people have been sharing with their friends who share with their friends. So it's sort of like the social media domino effect. And if you're not familiar, it's not too late to start. I imposed a boot camp of one month, but it can be spread out over two months, three months, however long you would like to complete the book. The goal is just to finish the book at your own pace because I realize some people might have more scale experience than others. Some might be more familiar with the book itself. So I know some people have struggled, especially with the octave exercise this week. Basically, every day you practice three different sections. There's a scale section, which is a major scale and a minor scale each day you go through every pattern the scales the interrupted scales the returning scales the diverse chords and all of the other scale exercises and then each day you'll practice a diminished pattern so you'll do the one eg b flat c sharp one day the next day it will be a different pattern and then the final component is the technical exercise and i've tried to break them down because they're quite long at the end <laughs> and I broke them down so on day one you'll practice measures one through eight the next day one through 17 the next day one through 26 I forget the exact measure numbers but I've slowly tried to build on what you've learned in the previous days well, you know, I think that there is some, of course, benefit to doing it as a group, um, kind of like you're doing on your website. But you're right. I mean, anyone who's just getting started, for example, this episode will probably come out, oh, I hope, by the second week of October. But many of you will be halfway through the, the boot camp by then. But there's no reason you can't start it on the 1st of November or any other month and just work through it at your own pace, of like course. you're saying there. So how are you doing with your own boot camp so far? I'm great. I am all called up after our interview. I'm going to do day four of the boot camp. <laughs> and start off day four on the right foot. Well, it's funny because I think there's a video, I think it's Robert Spring, um, and I remember, or some other teacher, I, I'm not sure, but there was a video on YouTube where this teacher recorded all his major and minor scales in something like two minutes just to prove to his students that you could go through it quickly. Because <laughs> they always said they never <laughs> right. had time to practice or something. But, um, you know, so how much time are you hoping that, the, that people, or even yourself, invest in the boot camp every single day? It ultimately depends on how fast you're playing the scales. Me, I've been spending about 30 minutes a day and that's going back and really finessing anything I'm not happy with. Like the octaves yesterday, the octaves were really tough. I don't know if you saw them like three octave leaps on the section for yesterday. I don't like diminished scales, so I have to practice those a little bit more. So it just really depends on whatever is giving you problems. Right now, it's not too difficult. We've been doing C major, G major, F major, but I know next week it will get harder when we have G flat major, <laughs> D flat major, B major. How are you going to provide like emotional support for people once you get up to like October 9th with all those flats? 
Um, that's a good question. I think I'll need some myself, but we've been trying to keep a very good Facebook community open. I know people are writing in the event I created, just fingering questions, support for each other. And I think it's more of the community that helps. I was actually inspired by, I don't know if you're familiar with the National Novel Writing Month in November. In theory, you can complete an entire novel if you break it down into manageable chunks every day. And that's sort of what I modeled this after. And the community behind that really inspires people to keep motivated. Well, for those who are interested, I definitely want to suggest you head on over to uh, JennyClarnet.com and you can actually download this Behrman Bootcamp calendar. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. You know, I was going to show you something. And for those who don't have, um, we're on video right now, but I actually years ago sorted my Behrman book by colors. Uh, I don't know if you can see the edge of the Ooh. spine of my book there, but I tried to do something similar one I summer. Can. can you see that? Yeah, so I sorted them by colors, and every day I would like roll a dice and try to do a color, but it was a lot of work, and I, I definitely, like you, gave up that summer, <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't get through the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's hard to go through, and to be quite honest, there are some days I lie to myself. Of course, I'll practice the Behrman when it's C major, F major. Yeah, let's get to E flat major, and then when I see more sharps and flats, I think, oh, I'll practice that tomorrow, and then tomorrow I'll switch to another book. So I think it's, yeah, such a wonderful thing you're doing here uh, with that whole thing whole idea. What a, what a great concept. And um, so what else have you got planned for the future of your blog going forward? Lots of articles, maybe more interactive articles like this. Some more scholarly articles, I think. I would really like to combine clarinet with traveling. I am trying to visit 30 countries by the time I turn 30. I've been to 23 already. And each country, I'm really fascinated by the classical music culture. And then I always wonder what clarinetists came from this country, what pieces for clarinet were written in this country. So maybe that's something I can start sharing more on my blog. So are you going to be going to Clarinet Fest 2017 then? I'm not sure. I submitted a proposal to perform. So we'll keep our fingers crossed and I'll keep you updated. Yeah, good luck with that then, because it's going to be in Belgium. And uh, I just know for you already over there in Europe, that's going to be a rather easy trip. Whereas for the rest of us, it's a little little far, mm-hmm. it seems. <laughs> it's a little bit further. <laughs> it should be good. I love Belgium. It's great. So you mentioned that you started the blog to assist your students. Um, can you tell me more about your studio and, and even some of the performing and things that you do? Sure. I was in Florida before I came to Paris. I had a private studio of about 15 to 20 students. When I moved to Paris to study with Philippe Couper, I kept a few of those on Skype. I had to let a lot of them go just because of the time difference, because they weren't necessarily as serious as some of the others. So I kept a few on Skype. And now that I have more time, I'm expanding my Skype studio. I've had a lot of interest in that. But it's worked out really well because I've known a lot of my students personally before Skype. But even the newer ones that I've never met in person, I think it's a great medium to teach musicians from around the world. I think it's incredible. So I do have a private Skype studio. As for performing, I am a freelance clarinetist in Paris, and that's been incredible. I have a lot of solo opportunities here at the United States Foundation where I'm lucky to live. I received a grant from them to come to Paris in the first place. If you're interested in studying, it's called the Harriet Hill Woolley Award, but that allowed me to move to Paris. 
and they have a beautiful recital hall in the lobby. So I have a lot of performance opportunities there. I am performing the Weber Grand Duo Concertant next week. After that, I'm scheduling the quartet for the end of time, which I am very excited about. That's one of my favorite pieces for sure. Let's dive a little more into the Skype lessons. I'm really interested in, in how that works. Um, I've talked to that. I've talked about that with a few other guests on the podcast before. How do you approach it? And do you find what challenges do you find when compared to normal one-on-one in-person teaching? I think the hardest part is probably recruitment for Skype, because if you've never met a teacher, I think some people are more cautious about taking lessons with a stranger on the internet. I know when I was a child, you don't speak to strangers, especially on the internet, but I (laughs) think now times are changing. (laughs) And so I think some parents that want lessons for their students, they might live in rural areas or other places where it's not the most feasible to take in-person Skype lessons. I think there is some reticence to take lessons just because I've never met you. As far as teaching, I prefer teaching more advanced students that have a few years of experience because I know the first year at least is more hands-on where you demonstrate proper finger position, the proper embouchure. And especially if they don't have Skype experience, they have bad camera angles, you can't see their hand position, you can't see all of their posture. So a lot of it is just telling them, can I see this fingering? Can I see your embouchure? Show me how you're doing this when they start out. So as a freelancer, tell me more about your freelancing life. I mean, freelancing is something I've also been doing for, for quite a long time here. And do you consider yourself to be a small business or some people really are opposed to that? Where do you sit? Um, I think small business, entrepreneur, you definitely have to promote yourself. It's a little bit harder since I'm coming into a foreign country as a foreigner. I'm not in the same networking circles as people that have grown up here are, but I've had some opportunities. I've played with a few regional orchestras. It was (laughs) the most stressful gig that I ever had. I got a call last year. We need a clarinetist to play the list Faust Symphony tomorrow. Okay, sure. No problem. It has some C clarinet. I get in, it is 90% C clarinet. I called everybody I knew. Nobody had a C clarinet. So I got a lot of transposition practice for that one. <laughs> That's happened to me before too. I, I got called into a gig last minute and, and it turned out the whole book was in C. It just, and it wasn't even a result of like it actually Ooh. being for C clarinet. It was just, it was just a book that was in C. There was no transposition at all. So really odd. Um, what tips do you have for people who are looking to grow their freelance career? I would say take as many opportunities as you can, network, meet with people, reach out to people. I've done that with so many people that I met through social media. In fact, I have an Instagram I don't know if a lot of people know about. I devote that mostly to pictures from my travels, but I met some musicians along the way and I've just reached out. Hi, I see you are a harpist living in Paris. Would you like to meet for coffee and just meet and connect with people? And expect nothing. I think that's one of the great things about music is just meeting people from around the world. And you can't necessarily view every interaction as a business scheme. You can't go into it from that angle, I think. So I'm just very open to new ideas, opportunities, meeting people. And I think a lot has come from that. Well, sometimes, yeah, the benefits aren't even immediately obvious when you do meet somebody. I mean, I think I've told this story before, but through a couple of situations with sort of rather rough teaching engagements that weren't working out that well, I actually met the person who ended up producing my (laughs) album. So, so it was, it was cool that way because I never would have known that relationship would come from this. And if I just, you know, walked when it, when it got a little tough, I wouldn't have had that opportunity. So, so regarding freelancing and meeting 
meeting people and, and, and doing all that. Some people get into a bit of a rut where they get a lot of free work requests. Where do you sit on, on free work and where do you draw the line as far as that goes? Is that a thing in Europe as well? Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I think it's ultimately a balance of exposure and what you can get from opportunities because I've definitely done my share of freelance meaning free (laughs) work (laughs) and I've had some that have amounted to nothing, but I've had some where somebody in the audience might come up after and say, Hey, that was really great. Would you be interested in playing at this? So it just ultimately depends. One of the best gigs I had here was free, but it was also one of the most memorable. I was in a flash mob clarinet quartet at a town hall meeting in Versailles. We performed to protest budget cuts. It was on TV and I had a lot of traffic from that. That was actually really fun. We acted like reporters and sat down and hit our clarinets under the table and then stood up and played and ran out. <laughs> wow. I've never been part of a flash mob. <laughs> I should do like a clarinet uh, flash mob somewhere one day. <laughs> that would be really cool. I mean, the, the next clarinet, clarinet fest. fest. Yeah, yeah. Great minds think alike. Yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, regarding the free work, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, but I was listening to some other podcasts. I wish I remembered which one it was. Um, maybe Portfolio Composer. Um, but anyways... There was this guy who came on and talked about his sort of philosophy about free work and networking and freelancing and all this. And he had this triangle and he said everything he does has to uh, sort of take one side of the tri- or sorry, at least two sides of the triangle. So basically what I mean is one end of the triangle is does it pay? One end of the triangle is does it add fulfillment to my life? And the third element of the triangle is does it grow my career opportunities? So um, what, what do you think about that? I think that's a great idea. It's just, you have to get something out of it too. You can't hate your gigs. You can't hate going to work every day, but also at the end of the day, you need to support yourself and make a living. So it's a tough equation. I think, I think that's actually a really good analogy, the triangle. Yeah. I've used it in a lot of my decision-making. Actually, I look at something and maybe it's not the world's best music, but it does pay. And in that case, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's two things, right? It's, It's paying the bills and it's furthering my career. Mm-hmm. I don't think we could be elitist about a lot of the gigs we take. Well, do I want dinner tonight or do I mind playing this terrible piece of music? <laughs> so have you had the chance to premiere any new works over there in Europe? Most recently, I did Eternal Morning by Zach Nice, who is mm. a Florida composer. It's a great piece for clarinet, piano and electronic bird song, which was really uh, interesting. Did you get a recording of it? And that's... Yes, that's on YouTube, actually, if you want to hear that. I've done some European premieres. I did the European premiere of, let me think, several pieces. There is a Gregory Wanamaker piece for clarinet and saxophone that I did the European premiere of. That's also on YouTube, I believe. If not, I'll have to post it. So before we go, I've got six questions that I actually ask every guest. Um, All of these questions are to be answered in under a minute. And I have to actually reach up on my board here and grab them. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say, I have to grab the timer. This is very strict. No, no, no timer here. I just have them up on my bulletin board here. And I, I used to type them out every single time. And I, I realized that was a little bit silly. So I just printed it off and used the same one all the time now. You know, I have a feeling I know the answer to this first question. But it is, if I were to walk over to your music stand right now, what would I find sitting on it? Um, The Bearman and the Vani Mekum. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. And there is a notebook that I write down, Altissimo Fingerings. And the Martino set for clarinet. 
It's the Jean Jean Vaudé Mukum, and I think that is the ultimate technical book for clarinet. I would like to do a boot camp on that. I love the Vaudé Mukum. Every morning I do the trill exercise, and I think that's just incredible for technique. It is. That book is crazy. Um, Yeah, that would be another great one for a boot camp. So interesting choices there. What piece of music or album changed your life indefinitely? Ooh, tough one. Let's see. I hope thinking doesn't count for part of the minute. (laughs) That's okay. Piece of music. Or album. Or album. The Carl Leister Brahms Sonatas. They changed my life. The Brahms Quintet, Carl Leister plus Brahms, anything is just outstanding to me. What do you love about it? I just think they're so musical and so expressive and I'm so fortunate to have met Carl Leister. I studied with him in Berlin last year and it was just one of the most life-changing experiences I've ever had. Oh wow. Before we even started the lesson he took me on his back balcony and he just gestured to his beautiful garden and he said nature is the ultimate composer and it was just so profound and so simple. He has such a profound way of looking at life and music. That's fascinating. Any other stories about working with him that day? (laughs) I have a funny one that's not related to music at all, but between breaks during the lessons, (laughs) during lesson breaks, he would take me to his kitchen. He would give me water, coffee, (laughs) and he said, you have to try this. This is a great, great um, delicacy. I really enjoy this. It keeps me healthy. So I was intrigued, of course, anything that Carl Leister likes, and it was (laughs) sauerkraut juice. Oh, And I don't like sauerkraut. And he said, no, 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 you must try this. And so I drank this glass of sauerkraut juice and I didn't like that at all. It didn't improve my Brahms. And (laughs) I always think that's funny. So that must be the secret to his wonderful playing. So what is sauerkraut juice? Is it like the leftover? Like, you know, when you make sauerkraut and there's like that vinegary stuff in the bottom, is that what it is? I think it's a mixture of that and just liquefied sauerkraut. Oh, wow. It's like a smoothie, a sauerkraut smoothie. Yeah, oh, it's too early to think about that. It's too late to think about that. <laughs> right. I don't, I don't, there's never a good time to think about that. Exactly. Absolutely not. Um, if you could play any musical instrument other than the clarinet, which would it be and why? Violin. I have always loved the violin. I love listening to Yasha Heifetz. I love all of the violin repertoire, the Tchaikovsky Concerto, Sibelius, Mendelssohn. I love it. Interesting. I think you're the first person to answer violin. Most people say cello. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's too carry, too heavy to carry around. <laughs> yeah, very practical. If you could go back in time to meet any person uh, or musician, especially, who would it be and why? I think anyone that's known me for a while will know my answer to this. Definitely Leonard Bernstein. Oh, really? And I just think he was. The ultimate renaissance man, he did a little bit of everything, composing, conducting, performing, um, academia, and I just think he was a brilliant man and musician and artist. And so while we're back in time, and you know, I know that actually you just said you're, you're planning your 30 countries before you're 30, so I'm actually not sure how old you are. This is maybe not the best question, but what advice would you give to your 21-year-old self? <laughs> I started clarinet at age 10. I'm currently 27, so I've been playing for 17 years, over half my life, which is just crazy to me. But for my 21-year-old self, there would be a lot of advice that I would give 
maybe practice your scales, of course, <laughs> have a more diligent scale practicing routine, be open to learning different styles of music. At that point, I was very much in the traditional Mozart, Weber, Brahms routes, and I was more averse to learning modern pieces, Carter, Stockhausen, things like that. And just enjoy it. I think there's so much pressure for musicians because of the opportunities. There's not as many as there used to be. I would say just enjoy it more, have fun, and don't stress yourself out too much. Yeah, it's funny because it seems like kind of an odd question to ask. You know, you're only 27 and, you know, what advice would you give your 21 years year old self? It, you know, it almost seems like when I ask guests who are, you know, quite a bit older that that question would have more weight. But I, I agree. I'm, I'm also young and there's a lot I would tell myself. Mm-hmm. Only, only a few years ago, I feel like I've learned so much and only I had known I would tell myself a lot of things going back, you know? Of course, sure. So. I think I even wrote an article about that, like um, Twitter advice in 140 characters or less or musical advice. Something I remember along those seeing lines. that one. Yeah, I remember that one for sure. So one last question here. What is one book that you think every clarinetist should read and why? Ooh, besides the Behrman scale book, I assume. <laughs> With words. Let me think. With words. Hmm. That's a really good question. I would say anything that Pamela Weston wrote. I think she's the ultimate clarinet scholar. I just finished rereading Clarinet Virtuosi of the Past, and that's just fascinating. The amount of work and effort and detail that she put into everything she wrote is just mind-blowing. So I think everyone should have that on their shelves. Andrew Morrow mentioned that in one of our debate episodes, actually, and uh, I think it's out of print, though, isn't it? It is. You can find it on Amazon, but it's very expensive. So hit up some yard sales. (laughs) Find those clarinetists having their yard sales and parting with their most most precious book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So Jenny, I just thought of a new lightning round question I'd like to ask guests going forward, because before we went on air, we were talking a bit about the clarinets we have, because I just bought a new one today. But anyways, um, so how many clarinets do you have in your clarinet collection? So I have a lot more clarinets than some people, but the disclaimer is a lot of those I purchased at yard sales or Salvation Army. They are cheap plastic lamp material clarinets in total around 15 clarinets, but professional or intermediate models, I think I have six or seven. Wow. And is that all B flat or there's obviously an A mixed in or what's the, what's the mix like? Um, I have B flat. A, E flat. I have an old metal clarinet. Oh, how is that? And no bass, unfortunately. Not yet. Uh, it's bad right now. It doesn't play, but it's really pretty. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think that's going to be a fun question going forward because I, uh, I remember even Charles Nydick the other day was telling me about he has a rather large collection of different instruments and it never dawned on me to ask exactly how many, but uh, I bet I would get some surprising answers from people. You could also ask how many reeds they have because I was speaking with someone, I forget who, but there are some reed fanatics. There was someone that had bureaus full of reeds, like thousands of boxes of reeds. Yeah, I'm weird with that. I have this like reed graveyard box where th- my, my mindset is that they're just continuing to age in there, but I know that they're just waiting to get thrown out in five years. 
Mm-hmm. No, honest. I actually have every single reed I've ever played on. No way. I have a giant glass apothecary jar and I keep them in there because I was like you for a while. Maybe they're aging like a fine wine and I've tried some old reeds and there's nothing too spectacular in there, but it's more visual. And I have, I have a student that has an actual reed graveyard that made a graveyard and she sticks the reeds like graves in it. It's styrofoam <laughs> or something, but I thought that was so funny. <laughs> Yeah, people's read habits are so strange. I mean, me, even I, I'm such a weird person because some t- sometimes I'm totally almost like a hoarder. Like, I'm like, oh, I can't throw that out. I got to keep that. I got to keep that. But then I'll have a day where it's like a, I don't know, like a cleansing and I just get rid of all that crap <laughs> and start over. It's really weird. Mm-hmm. So, interesting. Right, like spring cleaning read edition. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast mm-hmm. today, Jenny. This has been a lot of fun, and I do hope we can have you back here at some point to not only talk about the interesting blog posts that you write and all the things that you do, but uh, maybe even right away to talk about that uh, clarinet-related Halloween special blog post you were talking about. Yeah, that would be great. Thanks for having me. You can check Jenny's website out at www.jennyclarinet.com, and I encourage you to get involved with her Bearman Boot Camp. I know I'm going to be giving it a go, and actually I'm really excited about it because I, for me I had that really bad injury last year, and I, I've i been looking for a way to kind of get back into playing but I do kind of have to start from scratch. I, I have to relearn a lot of finger patterns um, due to my injury just because of, I don't know, my hand doesn't respond like it used to, and this is going to be ideally if I can keep it up really good for me. So thanks for a great idea. Thank you. How are you doing, by the way? How is your hand? It's been a tough road. I couldn't play for about three months. Um, and then it was about three months of like trying to do some rehabilitation with the hand and get back into it. But I, I had my first gig in, I think it was May after being out since, uh, man, I think it was mid January is when I fell. No, December. I think it was Mm -hmm. December. So anyways, but yeah, it was, it's kind of a rough go, but, uh, yeah, it was a, good to get back into everything and this will be a great push yeah slow and steady wins the race 40 50 i know a lot of my students especially when we practice scales they'll want to play it at 80 90 100 and it's a sloppy mess at first so don't push yourself yeah you got to keep those scales slow (laughs) well thanks so much for coming on the podcast today and i do really hope we can keep in touch enjoy your paris morning yeah enjoy your calgary evening (laughs) talk to you soon Thanks for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. For detailed show notes and to get on our mailing list for a chance to win giveaways, head to www.clarinet.com. Be sure to tune in next time for an exciting episode with Tommaso Longquish, who talks about his amazing uh, chamber music performance career and also his upcoming tour. Before we wrap up today, I just want to include a message that was sent in from Clarinet listener Anders Nelson. He completed the Behrman Boot Camp that uh, Jenny was having on her website there and wanted to share his thoughts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the podcast, you can do this by heading to Clarinet.com and clicking on the Leave Voicemail button. Hey, Sean. It's Anders here from California. Uh, just calling in as requested to give you some feedback on the Behrman Bootcamp and how that's going. I thought I'd share what I find really motivational about it. Uh, first and foremost, of course, is having an organized structure that I know that people all over the world are also going through day by day and having the Facebook event page to check in and trade tips and report progress, uh, that certainly makes it a lot more fun and something to look forward to each day, which is something I haven't always been able to say about Behrman. Uh, I also have the calendar from the event printed out and posted on my studio wall where I can see it every day. And it gives me great pleasure to put a big X through each day as I make it through each day's assignment. 
And to see the X's all in a row and to see a limited number of boxes left to receive an X. And uh, I'm also just really enjoying uh, how much easier some of it is this time as opposed to the last time I spent a lot of time with Behrman. I can really see that there's residual effects from this kind of work. And I'm looking forward to experiencing the residual effects of this work I'm doing now as things move forward. And I see it every day and everything else I play after I've done this. So if people are thinking about getting involved, I would really encourage it. It's uh, worthwhile and it's actually kind of fun. Thanks so much for sending that in, Anders. I really appreciate uh, the effort that everyone did for this. I, I wish I could say I had the time to do it this month, but I was just absolutely slammed. But as I did mention to Jenny in the conversation, I think it would be really beneficial as part of my hand rehabilitation uh, since my accident last year. Anyways, that's it for today's episode of the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and you feel you get value from it, I would absolutely be so thankful if you would consider supporting it. If you want to treat it even like an extra cup of coffee once a week or once a month or an extra read, (laughs) something like that, um, it would be so helpful and it will let me take the show to the next level and make sure that I can continue it for as long as possible into the future. The show is really made viable, first of all, by our advertisers and also by those of you who do choose to support it. So thank you so much. And whether or not you do support the show, thank you so much for listening. Today's episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Diderio Wood wins. Sanding, shaping, balancing. For centuries, mastering your instrument meant mastering these crafts too. But now, D'Addario is refining craftsmanship for the 21st century by refining their reeds and mouthpieces with the world's most innovative techniques. So you can spend less time sanding, shaping, and balancing, and more time perfecting your own craft. To learn more about the new era of craftsmanship from D'Addario Woodwinds, visit daddario.com woodwinds.